Kiora and welcome to Requisite Words. I'm Peter Ravlich, and you're listening to a podcast about poetry. We begin 2020 with a somber outlook. Australia is on fire. There are people struggling to adapt to this horrific reality, while politicians appease lobbyists with lies. A president has been indelibly impeached, but the odds are against any concrete consequence for his actions. Samoa, meanwhile, has just emerged from a state of emergency over a lack of vaccinations, leaving 79 people dead of a preventable disease. Protests continue in Hong Kong, with few signs of hope in sight. It isn't all bad news, of course, but the visibility of the myriad crises we face can be overwhelming. Today I'd like to step back and reflect on one commonly discussed feature of the last decade, in the hope that even in the sombre and the painful, it's always possible to make some small space for improvement. If the last decade has collectively underscored anything, it's that the social conceit of shared assumptions is a fundamentally flawed premise. Critical awareness and the conscious application of empathy and nuance are vitally important for those who would affect change. And today's poems are historical attempts to wrestle with that exact problem by taking on visceral perspectives. This first piece is a favourite poem of mine, because the assumptions we bring to the piece are subverted in one pivotal moment. Ostensibly a portrait of the speaker, it's also a lesson in how narratives can shift and challenge us, in this case evoking a cognitive dissonance that is foolish in retrospect. I won't spoil it in case you're unfamiliar with the work, but it is worth listening twice if this is your first time. Porphyria's Lover by Robert Browning The rain set early in tonight. The sullen wind was soon awake. It tore the elm tops down for spite, and did its worst to vex the lake. I listened with heart fit to break, when glided in Porphyria, straight she shut the cold out and the storm, and kneeled and made the cheerless grate blaze up, and all the cottage warm. Which done she rose, and from her form withdrew the dripping cloak and shawl, and laid her soiled gloves by, untied her hat and let the damp hair fall. And last she sat down by my side, and called me. When no voice replied, she put my arm about her waist, and made her smooth white shoulder bare, and all her yellow hair displaced, and stooping, made my cheek lie there, and spread o'er all her yellow hair. Murmuring how she loved me, she, too weak for all her heart's endeavour, to set its struggling passion free from pride and vanities dissever, and give herself to me 
forever. But passion sometimes would prevail, nor could tonight's gay feast restrain a sudden thought of one so pale for love of her, and all in vain. So she was come through wind and rain. Be sure I looked up at her eyes, Proud, very proud, at last I knew Porphyria worshipped me. Surprise made my heart swell, and still it grew, while I debated what to do. That moment she was mine, mine fair, perfectly pure and good. I found a thing to do, and all her hair, in one long yellow string I wound three times her little throat around, and strangled her. No pain felt she. I am quite sure she felt no pain. As a shut bud that holds a bee, I warily oped her lids, again laughed the blue eyes without a stain. And I untightened next the tress about her neck. Her cheek once more blushed bright beneath my burning kiss. I propped her head up, as before, only this time my shoulder bore her head, which droops upon it still, the smiling rosy little head, so glad it has its utmost will, that all it scorned at once is fled, and I, its love, am gained instead. Porphyria's love, she guessed not how her darling one wish would be heard. And thus we sit together now, and all night long we have not stirred, and yet God has not said a word. The sudden apparent shift in tone, from classical sickly lover to detached, obsessed and literally possessive murderer, shakes the listener. And this particular challenge to complacency was one of the works that made me fall in love with poetry. The second piece I'd like to share is more classically evocative, but also more sadly relevant, as certain nations toy with one another's military and economic resolve. Modern warfare might be painted as an increasingly technological endeavour, but that's not the case for those on the ground or for the uncounted people dismissed as collateral damage. Dolce et decorum est, by Wilfred Owen Bent double, like old beggars under sacks, knock-kneed, coughing like hags we cursed through sludge, till on the haunting flares we turned our backs, and toward our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched asleep, Many had lost their boots, but limped on, bloodshod. All went lame, all blind. Drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of gas shells, dropping softly behind. Gas! Gas! Quick, boys! An ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. But someone still was yelling out and stumbling, and floundering like a man in fire or lime. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under a green sea I saw him drowning. In all my dreams, before my helpless sight, 
he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If in some smothering dreams you two could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in, and watch the white eyes writhing in his face, his hanging face, like a devil's sick of sin, if you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud of vile incurable sores on innocent tongues, my friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory. The old lie, dolce et decorum est, pro patria mori. Requisite Words is an Inklings production. Find out more at inklings.co.nz or follow us on Twitter at Requisite Words. Opening music is Be Chillin' by Alexander Nakarada. If you enjoy listening, don't forget to give us a review on your favourite podcast app and let us know what you'd like to hear more of. <laughs>